This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. If you're feeling cranky about politics, please know this. You are not alone. Public polling shows a remarkably wide swath of Americans who have historically poor views of politics and politicians. Granted, polls are snapshots, not oil paintings, so to speak, but the body politic does seem to be in a pretty rough patch. And who better to talk about cranky things with than our friend, Nathan Gonzalez, our political and campaigns analyst here at Roll Call, as well as the publisher of Inside Elections. Nathan, you're my favorite cranky person or favorite person to talk about cranky stuff about. I At first, I thought maybe I was on the wrong episode. I thought you were leading into somebody else, but uh, I'm happy to be here as always. Happy warrior, happy happy uh, political journalist is what is what. You know. Yes, I, there are there are worse jobs than this. Even though we all like to complain about everything. Yes, I mean it's what makes it's what makes the world go around. It makes what makes us tick. Um, so I, I, when I was thinking about you know like we we're we're starting to see you know one year out you know um, stories about you know we are roughly one year out and and a couple of days from next year's election. We've obviously been cataloging, you know, the the ins and outs of, you know, who's in, who's out. Uh, will Trump go to debates? You know, will Biden get a write-in campaign in New Hampshire now that Dean Phillips is up there? That that kind of stuff. Um, and I, but I was also just thinking about how remarkably unpopular both of the the most likely <laughs> presidential nominees are, uh, and also just how when people are paying attention to the political process, just how how deeply unpopular uh, Congress and and politicians are right now, and I I was like, okay, this can't this this these aren't just outliers, and so I started taking a look around and said, I'm like, nope, this seems pretty consistent. So I want to run through some polls with you and and get your sort of take on it. Um, the first one uh, is is from Gallup, uh, and it was just released uh, late last week. Uh, Congress's job approval drops to 13%, lowest <laughs> since 2017. Um, you know, the, the story highlights uh, from, from Jeff Jones uh, at Gallup, uh, approval down four percentage points in past month. Congressional job approval was last at 13% in 2017, as he said. Democrats' approval drops from 22% to 10%. Uh, the late John McCain uh said that when you when you reach this sort of territory you're really just talking about friends and relatives you know who approve of you yeah and i think we're probably even below that <laughs> my, my first thought when i saw these numbers was who are the 13% that think Congress is doing a good job? I mean, even the friends and family, I think, are, are, are a little bit fed up. You know, who's saying, heck, heck of a job, Congress? Uh, they look they look at the news there. Uh, but in all seriousness, I, I think it's important to remember that when uh, Congress and approval gets this low, you have a wide variety of people disapproving of Congress for a wide variety of reasons, right? You have... 
Republicans who disapprove of Congress because they don't think Congress is going far enough in investigating President Biden or impeaching Biden or looking into Hunter Biden, whatever it may be. You have Democrats who are frustrated with Congress. They might be frustrated with Congress because of the Republicans who are in Congress trying to do these things. Or they don't think Congress is going far enough in executing legislation and, and moving the ball forward. So when you then when you move when you move forward to the next election, it's not as simple as, okay, X party is in control of Congress. People disapprove of Congress, so they're going to get thrown out because the solution or the way to getting to a higher approval for Congress, there are lots of different people have lots of different ideas right. of what Congress should be doing. Right, and I I also I think that the I can't help but think also that. In this particular stretch that we're in, I mean, Congress is des- almost designed to be a little dysfunctional. I mean, in in the way that we have two branches, that one, you know, the in in the Senate there is a supermajority that's required for most, you know, legislative efforts, um, and so I mean, it's it's designed to sort of slow things down a little bit. And when you have split control, that obviously is enhanced because the parties have different priorities. Uh, but this. In particular, the fight over who will be the who would be the next speaker, which culminated last week in a, in a uh, um, in Mike Johnson being sworn in, uh, a Republican from Louisiana. But it took three weeks, uh, and during that time, I mean, there was just you know on full full display, not in the same way that it was in January when Kevin McCarthy had to go through fifteen very public rounds of voting, uh, and you know C-SPAN sort of opened up the. Um, you know, the, the, the treasure chest to show, you know, like more on the, on the floor than they normally do. I think the Republicans learned their lesson from that, uh, to try to shield, but we still had this, you know, the, the headline every day was house fails or somebody drops out, uh, over and over again at the same time that there's, you know, there are some needs to, to be addressed, you know, whether it's how we're going to approach, you know, getting, Aid, an aid package to Israel or to Ukraine or just funding the government, things like that. I mean, it it just it seems like it's a almost a perfect storm right now. And when you layer on the electoral piece of it, that you always have one party that is in the minority trying to get back to power, and the way they do that is by bashing the people that are in power or the institution and how corrupt or dysfunctional or whatever it is. So you are going to always have the out party saying, you know, this elected, uh, you know, Congressman uh, X is, uh, is corrupt. They're in it for themselves. And, and, and so, and that's not going to change because the way you get from the minority to the majority is to convince people that the majority is doing a terrible job and they need to fire the current members that are on Capitol Hill. And that, pro- that feeds into this, uh, low approval of Congress, I think, because people are consistently hearing that Congress is doing a terrible job. Well, and one of the things that I noticed, and I'm, I'm going to double check before I go to the next poll that I wanted to talk to, is that the, I mean, in in the Scallop poll, it's, it showed that Democrats had the the most precipitous drop, but they weren't really the ones, you know, who were had this internal leadership struggle to get a speaker is, is it, but that seems to pretend that, you know, or not pretend, but it seems to feed into what you were saying, which was that, you know, if you're frustrated, you know, because you're in the minority like that and and you see that you can't actually get your way, can't even break through that might account for that, you know, somewhat precipitous drop. Yeah. Or democratic voters are losing faith in the institution because they they they're not convinced that it's going 
you know, it's it's helping do enough to boost the economy. You know, it's maybe there were Democrats who were holding on hope for these last few years of the of the Biden administration. Like, all right, Congress is is working together, but now they've they've just lost some of that. Yeah, and so I mean, Republicans, there isn't much further that republic self IDing Republicans can go in disapproving of Congress. The, there was more opportunity for Democrats, and they continue to sink. You know sink lower in their disapproval of of Capitol Hill. And I did double check uh, just because I wanted to make sure I get this right. The independents or self-identified independents, granted some people lean Democrat or Republican depending on, you know, their their own, you know, personal choice, but independents said that they they approve of Congress 19%. So they actually were higher <laughs> than the overall average, which to me is perplexing because if you're an independent and maybe you're just sort of tuning in a little bit, I mean, if what you see is this like internal fights and arguments and people calling each other names and, you know, all this kind of stuff, then it would seem that that would be account for more. But like, apparently they like Congress just a little bit more than everybody else. Or they have, or they have such a low view of government uh, that, gridlock is <laughs> it's encouraging that neither party can get full control and, and do what they want because they you know they they don't necessarily they don't necessarily want that and and to be fair also i mean this this poll uh you know came out on october 27th or, or at least the write-up did uh and was conducted uh you know as as the speaker sort of fight was concluding you know so so that it doesn't take into account that we now have a speaker of the house uh, so it, that could be possible for uh, could be possible that maybe there's a little bit more you know of a of a, of a bump, but who knows? I mean, it seems- I'm sure Congress is wildly popular now <laughs> <Yes>. since since, <laughs> since this came out of the field. Um, so I want to move on to another poll, which uh, also is uh, shows reason for pessimism, I guess, if you will. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't enough. It, no, that let's wasn't go, enough. Let's uh, go deeper. Let's go deeper. Uh, Pew, the Pew Research Center uh, last month, uh, around the middle of the month in September. Uh, they they had a a, a pretty um, involved poll that uh, the headline I'll just read it Americans' dismal views of the nation's politics. Sixty five percent say they always or often feel exhausted when thinking about politics. Um, and the I'll just read this one thing before we get into our discussion. Notably, Americans' unhappiness with politics comes at a time of historically high levels of voter turnout in national elections. The elections of 2018, 2020, and 2022 were three of the highest turnout U.S. elections of their respective types in decades. And yet, people feel exhausted by it. <laughs> Is this a yeah. – we, we were always – we always. I think it was a, a, a truism that we all adopted that if only more people were involved in the process, if only more people were paying attention and voting, uh, you know, we would just have a healthier democracy and, and it wouldn't just be governed by special interests. It wouldn't just be governed by activists. Well, now we have, you know, again, more people participating in the political process than ever. And apparently th- their conclusion is this sucks. Yeah. Well, my, and my question is, do people, do do men in this country think more about our government or the Roman Empire and the government <laughs> that they had back then? Um, I, I think it's encouraging, you know, that we have this level of dissatisfaction, but but a a higher level of engagement in the process. And I think that feeds into what I, the point I was trying to make earlier, that if you think the problem with the government or with capital is the other party, then that will inspire you to come out more, you know, to, to turn out and to, and to try to invoke some sort of change. Now, one of the driving factors of that turnout in uh, the past elections, I think was 
one person, Donald J. Trump. I mean, he, whether you love him or hate him, he was a turnout machine. He was turning out people for him. He was turning out people against him. Uh, That the wavered a little in 2022 when he wasn't on the ballot in 2024, uh, assuming he is the the nominee again. We'll see if it has the same effect if, if, because there could very well be a possibility for fatigue based on four indictments, four sets of indictments and, uh, and and a rematch that not a lot of people are are excited about at the presidential at the presidential level. But I uh, I don't know this. I think that the I, I still believe I'm Pollyannish and still believe that having more people involved is better than fewer people. So some of the highlights also from this poll. Um, just to just to tamp down on that optimism a little bit. <laughs> just four percent of U.S. adults say the political system is working extremely or very well. Um, positive views of many governmental and political institutions are historic lows. Uh, just sixteen percent of the public say they trust the federal government always or most of the time. Growing share of the public dislikes both political parties. <laughs> Nearly three in ten, twenty-eight uh, percent express unfavorable views of both parties. Candidate choices are underwhelming, as you alluded to, uh, with the possibility of a Trump-Biden uh, rematch in 2024. Uh, as the presidential campaign heats up, 63% of Americans say they are dissatisfied with the candidates who have emerged so far. And this is not just relegated to just Trump and Biden. This is everybody. They're, they don't like Nikki Haley either, <laughs> apparently. It's all her fault. Yeah, or Dean Phillips or Deron DeSantis. And then the majority's back age and term limits and eliminating the electoral college. So uh, apparently, when asked, you know, what the problem is, uh, you know, the the, uh, the the public is saying all of it is the, right. is the problem: the parties, the government, the electoral college. Everybody's too old; they should be term limited. I mean, it's it you know reminds me of the scene in Back to School when Rodney Dangerfield says, "Do you look at a menu and say okay?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I there are a lot of valid concerns in there the voter the majority of Americans uh, have but this also isn't in a vacuum like there is a there is a lack of distrust in a lot of different institutions in our education systems whether it be elementary secondary grad you know college colleges um, other you know banks there are lots of things that people are just increasingly skeptical of, right? The, anything that has the establishment or the man or whatever, I think that's only a term that Gen Xers use, but it's, uh, this is, I guess it's not unique to Capitol Hill. Uh, one of the things that stuck out from that poll you mentioned was the support for age limits. Uh, I believe it was, um, 79% uh, approving for age limits. And it, it, and, and it is hard to get that sort of bipartisan right. bipartisan consensus on any issue, and uh, and I I think that's an issue where we already have an age minimum, right? This is right. we have already established you have to be twenty five to be in the House, thirty in the Senate, thirty five to be president. So it seems natural and constitutional that we are allowed to use age as a requirement uh, to to serve. So I. Gosh, if if the parties happen to be looking for a win, uh, a political win, then I think age limits might be might be a place to go. Well, and I, I can't help but think too that I mean, you know, in in the the most recent you know set of elections, you know, we had we had younger people, you know, like winning the presidency, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, um, and then 
you know, we, we slipped back into the baby boomers, you know, we, we, and, and there, and in Biden's case, the silent generation, you know, um, and it's weird because the country itself is, is changing. It's getting more diverse. Um, it, it's, it is a, it, it seems that we should have more of a choice, just like looking at it, not, not, not as a journalist and not making any sort of value statement about the people running for president, but if, you know, it, other countries, you know, other industrialized countries seem to have younger people, people who are more at the, you know, the, the prime of their careers. If you think of politics as a career, you know, there's probably a sweet spot there, you know, of, you know, like you don't want people who are, as you said, inexperienced, there's an age, you know, minimum, and you probably don't want people whose references are, you know, skewed towards a, a time before like wide scale adoption of television. Right. And part of this is is circumstances or the individual situation of each election, right? I when we got to the 2020 election, specifically the Democratic primary, I think Democratic primary voters were looking around and saying, "All right, who is the oldest person that we can nominate for this?" <laughs> That's not what they were thinking. They were thinking about who can we get to prevent Trump from getting a second term, right? right? Or when Trump was in his ascendancy or descent down the escalator and ascent in the race in 2015, they weren't thinking, who is the oldest person uh, that we can get to, to become our nominee? No, he, you know, his message resonated with a group of people who didn't feel like they, they had a voice and, and they knew him from TV and we don't have to, but it was just that age, age was not a defining factor. Now in this election, age is becoming a concern uh, for uh, particularly on Biden. Um, it's absolutely true that Trump is, three and a half years younger uh, than Biden and uh, has the eating habits of a seventh grade boy. Um, now, this coming from someone who has similar eating habits, uh, but but uh, Biden is under more scrutiny for his age than, than ever before. But it's t- generally that is not a defining factor um, in our in our races. Yeah, it, it's it is. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by it. And I wonder how, you know, Assuming again, Trump is the is the nominee and Biden is the nominee for, you know that that the the focus heads towards the presidential nominees. I mean, we haven't even gotten into Congress and 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 the and some of the issues there, but it seems like that w- when you turn up the scrutiny on people this age and every gaffe becomes more important. And I you know I saw this like report the other day that you know. Yes, Biden is you know gaffed here and there and so forth. But like, here's this other stuff that. <laughs> You know, that Trump has said just in the last week, you know, he he said yeah. Viktor Orban was the prime minister of Turkey. Incorrect. He said Biden was going to get us into World War Two if we weren't careful. World War Two ended in 1945. You know, I mean, like it, it was. It, wait, it did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Newsflash. So, you know, the, the the scrutiny of it will only increase as, you know, as as Trump, you know, kind of maybe gets some little bit of uh, time away from the courthouse and, and goes back to the campaign trail. And and again, when I see this thing of like people are exhausted by politics, th- this has got to be part of it because like so much of, you know, the, the, the driving, you know, campaign rhetoric is just about how terrible everything is and how, how the other purpose is try- really trying to screw you. And, you know, Biden almost sold himself as like, I'm boring, like elect me, like, cause I'm not that guy. And I'll just like, 
I'll just have these schmooze sessions where I convince everybody to pass appropriations bills on time or whatever. And even he's ramped up his rhetoric uh, about Trump. And so no wonder people feel exhausted because they're just constantly bombarded with this idea that everything is terrible. And if you don't elect me, it'll get even more terrible. Right. There, there are two different standards. I mean, Trump is benefiting from a track record of sometimes saying things that don't make sense or at least tangents, right? If President Biden had a press conference today and he started talking about water pressure in shower heads <laughs> and stuff, people would think he was off his rocker. If Trump does that, they're like, oh yeah, that's just something Trump does. He just talks about, he likes to talk about water pressure in certain scenes. So there are different things. But it, on a on a more serious note, I think Cases like what um, Senator Mitch McConnell, what happened to him now, two different press conferences where he where he froze for a period of time, I, I would say kind of scary incidents. I think that hurts someone like Biden because people have seen in front of their eyes what could happen to an aging politician. Now, Biden has not have has not had those episodes, but I think it filters into everyone's psyche because it's so public. It gets so much attention and right. it's all it's all political. Um, next poll that I want to talk about, uh, comes from, uh, news nation. Um, and this was Is this more pessimistic, the, Jason. Are we going to keep it, going? <laughs> it's, um, it's just going to keep getting darker. Although the numbers actually are going down, like they're not 70% or more or, 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 or 90, you know, 3%, uh, or 87%, you know, um, Hit me with it. Yes. Here we go. Most Americans still think the country is on the wrong track poll. So about 63% of people in News Nation DD poll say U.S. going in the wrong direction. Polls are showed inflation is a concern for majority of Americans. Respondents' answers varied somewhat based on political affiliation, party affiliation. Um, yes, the Republicans for the poll were most likely to see the United States as being on the wrong track, 85.6%. A fair number of Democrats, 40.9%, and 58.9% of independents thought the same thing. Largely tracking with who's in power and who's in power where. Um, but anytime that you're an incumbent and you see the public is at 60% disapproval or thinks that the country is on the wrong path, you're, you got to be concerned. And you have to change your election to make sure that the other, that the alternative is unacceptable. That's that's where, and the 2022 election was a great example of this, that uh, a majority of voters disapproved of the job President Biden was doing. They thought the country was off on the wrong track. They were concerned about the economy. Uh, Democrats were in control of everything. And yet, Democrats expanded their majority in the Senate. Um, they lost the House, uh, but by a more narrow margin than what was initially expected. And that's because it, in, in many key races, it became a choice. It became a choice between, do you want to continue the status quo with Democrats or do you want to elect Republicans? And voters looked at Republicans and who they nominated and they're like, eh, no, thanks. I'll just I'll just stick with what I have. So I when we fast forward to 2024, I don't think these numbers are going to get dramatically better. People aren't going to get suddenly optimistic. And so Democrats are going to have to rely on that choice frame of the election rather than just a referendum. Because if this election is, do you think Biden's doing a good job or not? Do you think he is up for the job up for another, you know, conserve another four years? Biden's going to get smoked. Yeah. I mean, he's going he's to lose, but that isn't necessarily, it's not going to be that simple when we get to no, next November. And particularly, again, if it's Trump, you know, because that's, that, that he becomes the issue. He makes the, he makes it about him. He wants it to <laughs> be about him. About him the, the, as does, as does his opponent. <laughs> right. Um, and, and then there's also the, you know, what, what 
seems to be the one of the more defining issues. I mean, inflation obviously is got to be one of the biggest drivers of disapproval for uh, you know people thinking that the country's on the wrong track and disapproval of Biden. I mean, the, whoever is president gets credit for the economy or blame for the economy, depending where you're at. But then there's abortion abortion rights. And that has time and time again shown that it has a lot of efficacy in elections, whether they're in Kentucky or Kansas or <laughs> wherever. And with, a, you know, it, it just becoming the, the picture become clear what the post Dobbs decision life is like. This is the framing reference that Democrats are, are making over and over again. So it's almost like inflation, corruption, you know, for Republicans and abortion rights and Trump for Democrats. Which gets you into the exhaustion phase of the of this again, <laughs> right? And then and you overlay security mm -hmm. issues, the southern border, urban crime, which isn't specifically related to Capitol Hill, but it's all just about dis dysfunction. Uh, you throw in indictment, George Santos getting indicted, gold bars and cash allegedly, and Senator Menendez, you know, jackets. You see, it's just more of it feeds into people's already their uh, their skepticism of government. And then you get more headlines about politicians being indicted. You're like, well, of course, because the whole system is like, well, the, that's just what the system is. And it all, it, it continues to bring down the opinion of the institution as a whole. And again, this is going a little bit further afield from where we want to be, you know, talking primarily about politicians and, and campaigns, but they do bear the brunt of the public's attitudes, you know, depending on where they're at come election day or election weeks is the case may be really. Uh, um, it seems like we just get more good news about the economy. Now, inflation is still high outside of like the core, the core of inflation, energy prices and, and so forth is actually going down a little. And it's just not as high as it was last year this time, for instance. But and so inflation is still relatively high compared to where the Fed wants it, certainly. Uh, which is you know two percent or so, but the job market is red hot. Like GDP, they had this gargantuan number for GDP in the last quarter, four point nine. It blew analysts' expectations out of the water. Um, and yet the the attitude is this is this just sucks. I mean, like life just sucks right now. And I I don't I'm I'm struggling to figure out is is like do that many people care about like the war in Ukraine and Israel is that what the drag is I mean because that's not that's the Ukraine war has been going on for a while Israel not as much is it that or is it just simply like you said like more kitchen table stuff or more closer to home you mentioned schools I also and urban crime I mean I think you know one thing that Trump brings up a lot is the homeless and how I mean they're in particularly in in larger cities the homeless population is very visible and it's and it's like there's almost this sense of like, why can't we figure this out? Why can't we figure out how to take care of people and get them off the streets and get them the help they, they need or just clear them out in the in more rough terms? I mean, is it, I'm just start struggling to find out what – if thing, economically it seems things are, are good in general, like, but it is not reflected <laughs> in, in people's should, attitudes. We should – you probably should have had a psychologist on uh, for this. But my, well, my you, non – I mean why do you think I like to talk to you so much, Nathan? I can't afford yeah. I can't afford to shrink. You can't get an appointment anyway. You're my guy. Well, this is <laughs> – you have to reevaluate some other choices in your life, Jason. Uh, I I think unfortunately as Americans – I'm going to, I'm going to do broadly as Americans, we like to focus on negative or like to focus on, on problems, you know, that 
there could be any number of issues that get solved. You know, yeah, okay, the economy is getting better. Gas isn't as high as what it was uh, previously, but we'll find something else. And Or we're just hearing about there are other terrible things that are going on, right? As the economy, we get the GDP numbers and then a guy kills 18 people in Maine, you know, in two in, in two different locations. I mean, it's just like there's always so much more. There's always another, not just problem, but tragedy or crisis to be to, to solve. And uh, I think we, we tend to focus on those. And then if we focus on those, like, all right, who's, who's to blame and what needs to change uh, in order to prevent these things from, from happening? Because the alternative is just sort of despair, right? I mean, like that, that if you don't have somebody to blame, then it just feels hopeless. And so if you, if you can actually blame somebody, then that becomes almost like a plan of action. Like, well, this person is to blame. I get to vote against him or I get to vote like or I get to donate money to so-and-so who says they're going to fight for me or they're going to clean up the streets or they're going to ban books or whatever, you know, like whatever the, you know, the, the, the issue is that gets somebody riled up. Um, and an easy, an easy thing to blame. And as I, 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 you know, walk through my answers. Some people, it's like, oh, well, you you mentioned news and bad news. People are hearing bad news. It's the media's fault. And I would argue that you know, media as creators, we are partially and we are involved in that process. But the consumers of media are involved in that as well. Of uh, that by clicking on stories or with your eyeballs on TV or switching the channel, whatever, you are making decisions you're rewarding certain types of coverage, right? If there are two channels and one of them is covering, uh, a, unfortunately, another mass shooting in Maine and another one is covering positive GDP news, like which one are you going to watch, right? I mean, it's just the reality of of where we're, you know, of where we're living. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, I I mean, this goes back a, a long ways with me because I, I remember, you know, like when, in another life when I was teaching, um, one of the classes I was teaching, it was a it was English 205 at Northern Arizona University. And one of the things that we were um, exploring was this idea of like, is the, is the media violent because it, it's because people are violent? I mean, is, is it a mirror on society or is it projecting onto society? And I think that, you know, the, uh, we didn't, it, it's a, it's just a topic you can debate. It's not a topic that you can necessarily answer, you know, is, is the media just depicting a, a, viol- a society that's already violent or is the media helping create a violent society? Um, and I think that you're right. It does translate to journalism as well, which is that there wasn't a whole lot going on besides the speaker race the last month <laughs> in Congress. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, th- th- that doesn't mean that there weren't other issues to explore. I mean, we certainly covered, you know, the holdup in military nominations in the Senate, uh, you know, the, the the trials, you know, the various trials of the former president, Donald Trump. I mean, there was news out there, um, but there, there are only, there's only so much opportunity. There's, there's an opportunity cost for everything. And when you literally don't have somebody in place who's in the presidential line of succession, that will take precedence over other things. And so we, we couldn't not cover it to say like, oh, we're going to cover this small business committee hearing meeting because that'll be (laughs) that'll really bump that'll bump the drama over tom emmer like you know dropping out within hours of his of uh, being nominated to be the speaker 
and the lack of a speaker prevented other it halted grinded to a halt the, the rest of the legislative process and it was a huge distraction i mean that was to me one of the things that republicans it was first of all we have to remember this was self-inflicted republicans did not have to go through this it was because they allowed they lowered the threshold necessary to kick out a speaker and so eight republicans you know got a chance to do this but uh all the focus was on Republicans when Republicans should want this election to be about Biden, right? That That is where they're going to be. And remember, they had a impeachment. They had just opened an impeachment inquiry into Biden. And that, you know, no one is talking about that because it wasn't happening and because they couldn't get their own act together and elect their own uh, Speaker of the House. So we'll see if Republicans go through another round of this uh over the next 12 months. And it's a, it's another distraction or if this kind of, if Johnson can keep everyone happy enough while still managing to keep the government open uh, and in handling these big issues like, uh, you know, foreign aid. Happy may be a relative term in this case. <laughs> <laughs> At least preventing them from overthrowing, <laughs> overthrowing him. I guess that's, that, may, that, that counts as happy. Yeah. At a certain point. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just run out of bodies, you know I mean? Like they, <laughs> I think that there, there's gotta be an understanding among some people that if not him, then who? Uh, at this yeah. point, like give give them a little bit of running room, you know. And we had been saying that for a while. When you know at, that's that was one of the key questions to Matt Gates of of Florida as he as he started this process. People we asking, well, who? And it was sort of you know he just dismissed it. But we had a real world uh, exercise of what of the search for well who, uh, and it took Republicans three weeks to get there. Well, Nathan, I appreciate you uh, walking down this dark path uh, with us on this. I mean, I, I and again, I don't mean to make Is this light. the last episode yeah, yeah, of no, political theater. No, no. I don't know. I mean, and I, I, I struggled with a little bit, but I, I, you know, with I don't, I don't, you know, mean to make light of people's very legitimate concerns, um, but I just did notice that, like, yes, this is coming up over and over again, and and I think people just need to be aware that we're. We are in a, it seems like we're in a bit of a trough and it was just worth discussing, you know, but yeah. with, and, and again, there'll be more polls, you know, that, that come out, uh, some soon people will be thinking about the holidays and so forth. And, uh, but this was a good time to, I think, digest this. And so thank you. Yeah. Hey, anytime. And maybe another time it will be bright and cheery and full of uh, baseball talk. I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and uh, yes, we'll, we'll get back to uh, our sartorial choices uh, when, when we're, uh, you know, with the despair of the Washington nationals. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could go deeper and darker. Um, but thanks again. And, uh, and also why don't you uh, let people know about your podcast as long as we're on, we're, we're doing sure. cross promoting, you know? I know. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't uh, already, please uh, join us at the inside elections podcast uh, on all the places where after you've digested all of the political theater podcast library, uh, we're on every place where you can get podcasts and, and also a video version on YouTube. But uh, join me, my colleagues, uh, Jacob Rubaskin and Aaron Covey talking about largely house and Senate races and trying to bring in some maybe some pop culture stuff that you wouldn't realize was connected to these uh, to these races and my takeaway from that is listen to all 300 plus episodes of political theater first before uh, you listen to even your first inside elections one right that will brighten their mood uh, about <laughs> about everything and then they can just even go even higher with inside elections podcasts uh cool um 
And thank you again for listening out there. Uh, please uh, subscribe to uh, to Nathan's podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast. We can even, we'll even send you an email when it's up uh, at in, at the end of each week. Uh, catch us on YouTube here. Catch us on the Roll Call website, and uh, and tell your friends and family about it. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Bye bye.